Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Erdix, and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here this morning is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Good morning, Terry. Good, good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention anybody out there listening to us live that we're not taking phone calls, but the chat room will be open. If you'd like to stop in and suggest a question, I'll try to work it in if we have time. It seems odd to be here, Nicole. We've been off for two weeks now. I know. Has it been? Yeah, three. Been three. Wow. We've grown accustomed to just, you know, sleeping in on Friday mornings mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. not having to be awake and able to speak in clear sentences. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> so here I am. Hopefully I'll make it through. Roll back in. Yeah, I hope we'll make it. Had, had anything uh, interesting going on the last uh, weeks with you? Well, yeah, I don't know if you saw on my Facebook page that my son has accepted uh, university invites so, or decisions. So, yeah, congratulations. So doing that. Yeah, thank you. That so was what are you going to do with all that free time you were spending worrying about where he was going to go? Oh, so like you said, no, now, now I'm going to be worrying. You know. <laughs> now I'm going to be worrying about how I'm going to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. That, that yeah, does no. move in next, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that's great. That's a big load off. It is, and I can't believe how much worrying time is spent worrying and <laughs> thinking and strategizing and writing essays. And holy mm-hmm. cow, it's been months and months of this. So I'm really happy for yeah. it. I've worked hard for it. And yeah. So I have some friends on Facebook who've been yeah. going through that as well and talking about all the things that go into it. And I'm thinking, you know, this is making my, me appreciate the community college experience oh. so very much more. They pretty exactly. much hand you the acceptance letter when you turn the form registration form in. <laughs> it's, I don't think they turn anybody yeah. down as long as you're willing to pay for remedial classes that don't count for anything. They'll take you. You don't have to pass an SAT. You don't have to write an essay. Oh. You don't have to do anything. Give this us is- your name. Yeah, and here yeah, you go. Well, this is so crazy. I mean, <laughs> at one point we were waiting on a school decision because he applied to several schools, and we were waiting on one decision. And they were uh, they announced that they're going to be releasing it on a Friday night at 5 p.m. Well, us and 80,000 other people <laughs> were sitting on the computer, you know, with our, you know, mouse, you know, yeah. waiting to, you know, <laughs> the icon hovering over. The um, you know our, our profile so that we could go in there or my son's profile. Listen to me, I'm like joining yeah. the, the, the team here. <laughs> um, but you know, to, to see if he's um, been accepted, and it was just crazy because we were sitting there and wow. you know watching the, the clock, the countdown, and all of a sudden it hit five o'clock, <laughs> and we hit the button, and then the website crashed. <laughs> so yeah, I'll bet. Find out. <laughs> so anyway. He might have wanted to think that through a little bit better. That yeah, particular no, procedure. But, Quite the uh, crazy process. So anyway, that's yeah. what's happening on our end. Well, congratulations mm-hmm. on that. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no. So we're, uh, and how about you? Everything going well on your end? Uh, more or less. We had some illness, and uh, we had a 21st birthday, and 
um, unfortunately, the same weekend. So the oh. uh, the the birthday boy, uh, the the 21-year-old birthday boy, was ill the morning after his birthday, but not because he was out celebrating being 21. <laughs> Just I think either either stomach flu or some bad shellfish at Red Lobster. We're not sure which. But ah, <laughs> so that was unfortunate. But then he did yeah. have. Uh, this, this is a very special needsy thing, I guess. Uh, he had a party at his speech therapist's office. <laughs> they decided oh, it would wow. be a good social social learning sort of thing to plan to have him plan a party for himself and invite all the kids. So he had all the kids who he'd ever been in speech with. So I saw kids I hadn't wow. seen in like five or seven years walking in all big and grown up and everything and catching up with their parents. Yeah. So it was very nice, <laughs> sort of an odd thing, but uh, yeah, that wound up being his birthday party. Is, uh, Old old uh, old home week at the speech therapist. So uh, very neat. But uh, other than that, yeah, yeah, it's a big milestone. But uh, other than that, everything else is well then. Everything and then everything else is well. So we're back here now talking and uh, yes, we are here to talk about UDL today. Yes. um, I don't. Most people have heard about it, but if you haven't, UDL stands for Universal Design for Learning. And um, in our past podcasts, we've actually talked about some very specific ways to meet student needs by using UDL. Um, I know one week we talked about differentiating the curriculum. Another week we talked about adapting the curriculum to specific student needs. And all of these sort of techniques fall under the um, umbrella or the framework called Universal Design for Learning. And on this episode today, we have guest uh, Dr. Louis Lord Nelson with us to talk about um, UDL and its effect on learners and, and what it does for learners to, to, for us to implement these techniques and use them with students and, and what it does for the kids that we're teaching. So um, before we have uh, Louie talk to us about UDL, I'm just going to give a brief introduction and background to her work. She's had extensive experience through practice and research with UDL. She's an educational consultant specializing in um, Universal Design for Learning. She works with CAST and currently works at the University of Kansas uh, with the SWIFT project, which we are familiar with, having Dr. Wayne Saylor on in a previous podcast. So in addition, she has recently authored a book uh, published by Brooks Publishing called Design and Deliver, Planning and Teaching Using Universal Design for Learning. And I actually have that book up on my website for a giveaway this week, so it's kind of exciting to have... um, the author of that book, join us for our podcast. So good morning, Louie, and welcome to our show. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, before I start asking you questions, uh, can you tell us a bit about your book and what it um, encompasses and a little bit about um, what the purpose is? Sure. Uh, so I'll give a little tiny bit of background knowledge here in the sense that I had the good fortune of being a UDL coordinator in a school district in Columbus, Indiana, Bartholomew Mm -hmm. Consolidated School Corporation. And it was during that four years that I had a lot of experience working directly with teachers and administrators and uh, looking at the implementation and use of UDL. And uh, used a lot of CAST's resources, and those were fantastic. But Mm -hmm. I was finding that Possibly there was still a gap um, for understanding um, on behalf of the teachers. And so Mm -hmm. I decided, well, I'm going to 
check into writing a book. And um, I had been speaking about UDL at a conference and um, met some people from Brooks, and we had conversations, and so things moved forward. So while I was at CAST, I, was, uh, I had the really good fortune then after my work at BCSC to gain a postdoctoral fellowship at CAST for a year. Mm-hmm. And that's just a huge, huge gift because mm-hmm. you're given time to work on your passion. That's the whole point of a postdoctoral fellowship. So part of my passion was writing this book. And I was just smack dab in the middle of this environment with fantastic researchers oh, and yeah. collaborators. And, oh, it was just mm-hmm. wonderful. So um, I chose to write the book in a conversational tone. Mm-hmm. So it's just having that nice, nice, gentle conversation of introducing concepts and ideas. Uh, I give an introduction to universal design for learning, and that includes the vocabulary and the myths. So there's not a profession out there that doesn't have jargon, and, and mm-hmm. we all know that education has its healthy mm-hmm. amount of jargon. And oh um, Yeah, and then when you're connecting something like neuroscience and brain science in education, you get some new words, and so I wanted mm-hmm. to time and break down that vocabulary. And then when I moved into the principles of universal design for learning, what I had found in my experiences was that people just needed to see examples. They wanted to yes. see what, it, what does it look like. That's the, that's the big question all the time. Yeah. So the center section of the book breaks down the three principles, but it breaks them all the way down into the guidelines which is the Mm -hmm. second level, and then the checkpoints. And within each of those areas, um, there are examples from classrooms and then scenarios. Um, If people are interested in the e-book format, then there are videos of teachers talking about these, um, these areas. And then if people choose to use the print book, then those videos are described. The same information is in the print book. It's just... It's a different format because mm-hmm. knowing that people like to learn in different ways. And then mm-hmm. the third section of the book um, it goes from planning to practice is what it's called. And so it's helping people understand how to design. And I can talk about this a little later, too. But UDL is all about designing your lessons and designing your environment. Mm-hmm. And then having a deep understanding that the goal of the lesson drives everything from what you're going to use the tools from what strategies you're going to use and it has to be directly linked to the assessment um, formative and summative so that's the book in a nutshell i explained in the very beginning that people should use it as they see fit if they're familiar with udl they may want to just jump into section two they don't Mm -hmm. it's not a read from front to back okay so it's something you can pick up and look for a certain strategy or look for some advice in a particular area quite practical from the sounds of it. Yeah, and the feedback that I received, which has been wonderful, has been that it is practical. I really wanted this to be um, a desk reference of sorts Mm -hmm. that someone would have right next to their computer or lesson book um, on that bookshelf right there, and they could just grab it, flip open to their favorite areas and and go for it. And I know it's meant for... uh, you know, this type of book is generally read by the education professionals, not necessarily parents <laughs> want to pick mm-hmm. up something like this and look through it. Um, however, I think it's useful for parents to know the strategies and certain ways of reaching all learners. 
um, you know, and it's good for parents to know some of the background to this so that if there is an issue in the classroom or if they are struggling um, to have the teacher, you know, provide a lesson that will meet their students' needs, it's good for them to know how it can be done and perhaps pass on that information to the teacher either through your book or through some handouts or, yeah. I mean, I think it's great that, that parents are aware that there are these techniques that can be used. Um, yeah, I'll say generally generally for parents, Brooks Publishing is excellent. If you go on their website mm-hmm. and look, I mean, the, the books are mostly for educators, but they're usually really, uh, you know, interesting and useful. I have a, I used to buy those books all the time when I was dealing with schools and, and you know you can read it you can understand what the educators are doing and then you can give the educators a reference that's meant for them and not just hey I read this on a parenting site in the internet maybe you yeah. can do this but yeah. here is what other people like you are doing uh, so yeah. definitely worth checking out this book and other books by Brooks yeah no definitely I agree now uh, Louie can we sort of then backtrack and I'm going to ask you then for those people that are wondering whether they're parents, teachers, um, otherwise, how do you do UDL? How, what does it look like? And right. um, can you give us a description? Sure. So I'll start by saying that UDL is a framework. It's organized into the, those three principal areas of engagement, representation, and action and expression. And this framework is a collection. It's a collection of information. It's a collection of what we know uh, through educational research, through neuroscience, through brain sciences, through learning, learning sciences, of what works well and what works best in learning environments. So that said, and holding on to the fact that this is a framework, mm-hmm. they usually help people shift their language from the doing to the using. So an analogy is something that you do is you go running. That's something that's an action that you take. Mm-hmm. But what you use to improve your running is a training program. Oh, and that okay. training program is kind of like it's a framework. It gives you a schedule. It tells you what to do on each day. But you still have choice within that training program. So taking that analogy, shifting that over to UDL, the doing is the teaching. The doing is the designing, and the doing is the implementation. So that training program, that's the framework of UDL. So you're working within the framework and using that framework to help you make decisions about how you're going to physically structure your classroom, Mm -hmm. how you're going to structure it to lead to greater levels of engagement for your students, Mm-hmm. and providing them that representation and providing them opportunities to express their knowledge. Mm-hmm. Great description. I, I really uh, like the, you know, how, you know, how do you run? What, what are the tools that you use to improve your running? I think that's a great analogy. Uh, what are the tools that you use to improve your lessons? So how does a person know that they are doing UDL? So when you look at that doing and using, um, one way that I help the teachers most often are asking this question, but then again, I should say that administrators are too, <laughs> because if they're going in to support their teachers um, in their use of the framework. So then that little tiny shift 
um, from the doing to using means that you are actually using that framework to make your decisions. So UDL is a very thoughtful act. Mm-hmm. Uh, using the UDL framework is a very thoughtful act. It's intentional is a word that is used a lot in the UDL circles. So let's think about those teachers that we know that through their career, they've had fabulous mentors. They may have started off with some great instruction in their undergrad and even in their master's programs, and they seem to have naturally picked up great strategies and fantastic ways of relating to their students. And they've, you walk into their classrooms and you're like, whoa, every kid Mm -hmm. should be in there. Mm-hmm. So what naturally happens is that people will say, sometimes either externally or even maybe that teacher will say, well, I already do UDL. Mm-hmm. And I do a little bit of pushback on that because if you're using, <laughs> if you're using UDL, then you're doing it intentionally. Those choices, those practices, those strategies, that design was created because you were knowledgeable about the UDL framework, and other components that underlie UDL. So I never say that as an insult, and it's never my first thing of, no, you're not using UDL. No, never, ever, ever, because you want to uphold and congratulate people who are doing fantastic practices in their classroom. But if they are at the same time trying to understand and mm-hmm. um, improve around the use of UDL, then that opens the door for that conversation. So when people want to get started with this, what do you suggest? Uh, how, how would someone get started using UDL? Well, there are lots of different entry points, um, mm-hmm. and that's just thankful to the whole concept of universal design for learning. So um, I'd be remiss, and I think that my Brooks people would be upset if I wouldn't say, well, you can get the book. That's <laughs> 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 what I'm supposed to do as an author, right? Um, but I'll tell you the way I started was with CAST and um, going to their website. Um, And what they have now is the UDL Center, so it's udlcenter.org. And that is, that's one way that you can start with your own learning about UDL. You'll, You'll see about UDL and learning the basics. You'll see what kind of advocacy is going on around UDL. You'll see what they mean by implementation. And you can get this kind of big picture um, point there, but also get kind of into the nitty-gritties of the About UDL and learning the basics. So that's a nice place to go. Um, You'll see uh, their newest information. People sometimes ask me, what's the latest and greatest on UDL? Mm -hmm. Well, most of it tends to come through CAST, and they would never say that they're doing all the research. But what is nice is they tend to be a hub. Um, People in the field that are doing research around UDL like to stay in contact with CAST and share their information. And so then it, you know, then it it filters out. So that's another way. Another, if people are interested in using Twitter, if that's something Mm -hmm. they enjoy, on the first and third Wednesdays of the month at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard, there's the UDL chat. So the hashtag is UDL chat. It's 30 minutes. It's, um, I think, just for any of those chats, it's fast and furious. Yes, but, yeah. Um, it's, um, 
it, it's, it's managed so well, and great questions are asked, and people just toss in their answers. And, um, you know, Twitter is it's socially acceptable to lurk. That was a, 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 a dear friend once expressed that to me um, very early on to help me understand that it's okay to watch. And, and that's yeah. a great place to lurk yeah. because you yeah. learn and, and see how ideas are being shared. And then um, either hashtag UDL or hashtag UDL2014, um, those are two hashtags to follow um, if you're interested in seeing what people are tweeting about UDL. So there are some nice entry points for people um, that are interested in learning more about universal design for learning. And that the getting started part is it's, it's going to be a mixture of curiosity and bravery um, mm-hmm. in the sense of I'm going I'm to start, I'm going to try something new. And the other part of it is just giving yourself the permission to start small. I think I use that phrase. Well, I know I start at the very beginning and at the very end of my book, but I, I probably use the phrase more times in my book than that because mm-hmm. I really believe it. Um, educators need to give themselves permission to, A, start small, and to, B, feel comfortable when they're implementing something new. So in the sense mm-hmm. of starting small, look at one of the guidelines. Just get a feel for one of the guidelines in the UDL framework. Investigate it. Read about it. Kind of muck around in there for a little bit. And then, hmm, I think I'm going to try some ideas related to this one single guideline. Mm-hmm. And then when you feel safe and secure, you move to another one. Right, right. And keep adding them on. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we know that uh, UDL emerged from CAST's work with students with disabilities, but now they say that UDL helps all students. Can you talk about this shift a little bit? It's something we talk about a lot when we're talking about inclusion, that it's good for everybody. So right. I'm interested in how this was. This is as well. Yeah. So um, if, if people aren't familiar, the history of CAST and, and their work um, within uh, a hospital there in Boston, they were doing very specific, attentive work around individual students. And they were Mm -hmm. recognizing that providing these students with access, and at that time, um, it was more linked to technology. They were seeing these students blossom and that these students were gaining more knowledge and, and equally as wonderful were able to express what they knew and express all these fantastic things that maybe just hadn't been known prior that they knew. And this work continued to grow and blossom and blossom. And as the shift has taken place in learning sciences and brain science and neuroscience, it's been recognized that we used to really focus in on that that individual learner. And while that's still extremely important, and especially when we're talking about students who have IEPs, What we understand now is there's this concept of variability that has emerged. And that concept tells us that every one of us learns differently. Every single one of us approaches a task differently. And the way our brain works in relation to that task is very different. 
uh, there are some fantastic, a fantastic study that shows fMRI readings of, of individuals who are asked to simply tap one finger while they're in um, that machine. And it shows, I mean, the brain is doing all sorts of different things for each person. So building on that concept tells us that we need our learning environments to be structured in such a way so that there are multiple entry points for gaining connection to learning, to being able to understand the skill or the concept, and then being able to communicate that back. And so when it comes from that shift of the children who had special needs that they worked with back in the day, and to now shifting this into the general setting, it's moving along that same continuum of we used to really focus in on those individual students, and now we're realizing that these opportunities that we were providing that fall under those three principles benefit all students because every student is a variable learner. Mm -hmm. uh, now, does this work in any classroom with any subject? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a great example for me is when I'm talking with um, teachers in the sciences, especially at the high school level, and maybe there's an automatic uh, thought that they're already kind of implementing UDL um, because of labs and those kind of things, and so I go back to that conversation of using UDL, so that helps them even enhance further. Um, gosh, I've worked with teachers in the law enforcement area of, of career centers, um, you know, teachers of mathematics, teachers of reading English language arts, any, any subject uh, can use the framework. It can be put across any of them and any age group. Yeah, well, that's great. Uh, what changes most uh, in a classroom where UDL is used? Oh, um, so the most part is great fun um, in the sense that you're going to have, you have multiple populations going on, right? You have students, and so when you're implementing UDL and the students have an opportunity to gain that information and really blossom within it, mm -hmm. all of a sudden you see, you see happy kids. Um, there's a teacher that's quoted in my book, and she talks about that, that when kids feel that they can learn and they feel that they can show what they know, they're happy and they want to be there, and it's great fun. As for the point of teachers or educators, um, there are some shifts that are being perceived, and those are being studied right now by a variety of different people. Um, and so there's a shift in the understanding of all students can learn. That whole mm -hmm. concept, that, that statement that we all like to use, but the understanding of the fact that all students can learn, um, it becomes a deeper understanding with those teachers. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Sorry, uh, Carrie, I jumped can, in there. <laughs> uh, can, can, anyone use, uh, can anyone use UDL? Yes. And so when I really quickly said that any, any age level, any, or any, sorry, any um, grade level, so K through, and post-secondary settings, there are plenty of post-secondary settings that use um, UDL within the planning of their lessons. There's, there's wonderful realizations that are occurring in higher ed that this framework, wow, it really helps support the, the learning of the students um, even after they've come out of the K-12 environment. And there's this assumption that, okay, they already know how they like to learn. They know how to study. 
mm-hmm. they know how to organize their stuff, they know how to, you know, all these things. Well, maybe not. And really, no, because the brain hasn't completed development yet. We're still, you know, we're still in that point. So there still needs to be some supports. So it can be used in any learning environment. And I even suggest that it's utilized in environments outside of traditional education, so K-12 or um, in the post-secondary environment of education. But, boy, taking this past that and using that in, in other settings, business or nonprofit or what have you, anytime mm-hmm. you're providing instruction and mm-hmm. you realize that you have variable learners and you plan around that concept, you're going to reach more people. Yeah. You're going to have better outcomes. That's great. Yeah, That's exactly. That's good. Those things you. are all needed. That's good thinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, we've gotten to the end of our time today, but thank you so much for being our guest today, Louie, and I would like to thank our listeners for tuning into our program this morning. We will be back next week at the same time with our guest, Megan Mackey, to talk about inclusion in middle schools. It's an interesting concept. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at Mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. Uh, Louie, are you on Twitter? Do you have a Twitter handle to share? I do. I'm at Louie Lord Nelson, all one word. Great. Thank you. Okay. And uh, finally, you can download our past podcast for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Uh, Um, I also just wanted to mention before we go, I think the last podcast we had, I uh, mentioned to everybody that there is a uh, Paralympic athlete competing on Dancing with the Stars on ABC Mm -hmm. Monday nights at 8, and I want to urge everybody to check that out and vote for her if you feel so inclined. I think it's really exciting to have uh, weekly uh, check-ins for people to see that people with disabilities can do anything and there's all sorts of resources out there for them. There's been a lot of talk about her different prosthetics and um, so that's something really worth uh, looking into and encouraging the longer she stays on the show the more of that stuff people will be exposed to. So keep that in mind for next week and goodbye everybody and have a great week. Goodbye. Bye bye. Thank you.